2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's
3: because you think that, the, that saying I don't know makes you not enough, like you're, you're missing something, you're not adequate. But that's because there's this, this kind of, um, this dogma that you've fallen for that, that makes you think that, you know, if I don't know what I think, you know, I have to re- have all the right opinions on Ukraine and Russia or else like I'm stupid or I'm like, it's like, it's just so misguided.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today, I have an eclectic chat with the great Tim Urban. Tim is the writer and illustrator of one of my favorite blogs called Wait But Why, which he co-founded with Andrew Finn in 2013. With raw stick figure illustrations and occasionally epic prose, Wait But Why has garnered millions of unique page views, thousands of patrons, and famous fans like Elon Musk. His long-form blog covers a range of subjects, including artificial intelligence, outer space, and procrastination. Tim earned his A.B. from Harvard University, graduating cum laude with a major in government. In this episode, I talked to Tim about the complex relationship between identity and critical thinking. Tim cautions against blind loyalty to specific ideologies, for it can lead to an echo chamber of tribal minds. Instead of dogmatic maxims, Tim suggests we uphold basic core principles that guide our thoughts and behavior. In this way, Tim believes we engage in high-rung thinking, all the while cultivating idea labs within our culture. We also touch on the topics of dating, education, politics, writing, morality, and tech. So without further ado, I bring you Tim Urban.
3: Just chewing nicotine gum so I can get some energy.
0: Does nicotine gum give you energy? Is that, does that work? I know that, uh, it's great. It's great. Biohackers love
3: it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never smoked a cigarette. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) nicotine gum, when used like in moderation, if you use it a lot, you know, you get addicted and also it loses its potency. You have to take more and more. But if you take, you know, the half dose, two milligrams, and you maybe like two or three of those max on a day and take a day off, you know, a couple days a week, it's great. It's a little boost, like a, sharper it's like a sharper mm. caffeine boost it's like a caffeine boost but like sharper better focus and it doesn't last as long slow sh- shorter half life
0: i want to ask you a question tim uh someone told me that you you said that you have adhd is that true i don't know if or have you been diagnosed now? i don't know
3: if i have adhd i've never been diagnosed it's hard to know like what adhd exactly is i have like it's it's like is it one of those things where it's just a label for what a lot of people have with or is it like a specific condition where people can't like sit still because i never like had problems like taking an exam in school i wasn't like a, unable to focus mm-hmm. so i don't know whether it's like it's like a specific diagnosis of people who like literally can't focus when they need to in which case i don't have that okay. or if it's like yeah the kind of personality profile of mine is what we call ADHD. And like, yes, then I probably have that. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear
0: you. I mean, I I often say I have intellectual ADHD, you know, but they, you know, I love lots of different topics. I feel like I get the sense you do too. Like in the sense you, you, uh, if, if I told you you had to write all your articles about one specific topic the rest of your life, wouldn't you feel a significant limiting of your freedoms?
3: Yeah, I would hate that. I would, I would hate that I would, too. I would hate that. I, I'm all about uh, A.J. Jacobs said it best. He said, if you could take college again, he would do 32 101 classes. And that's how I feel about life. Mm. Like I, I love my job because I basically get to do a 101, you know, dive and then come out, you know, explain it. So then, you know, you explain it, you really understand at least a certain amount of it. Obviously mm. there's expertise you have to put a lot more time in for, and then it's so fun to move on to the next topic. Like I, I yeah, I feel like at that point, it starts to get more, you know. After the 101 level, it starts to get more rigorous and um, and more technical. And it's, it, I'm sure it's satisfying to get to that level, but it's like, ooh, or I could just move on to like, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm like intellectually promiscuous.
0: Yeah. Oh well, that's probably, like, that's even the sexier phrase than intellectual ADHD. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I like that phrase. By the way, AJ Jacobs is my brother man, so uh, big shout out to him. He's one of my best friends. Yeah, yeah he's the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah, him. I love him too. I love him too. I love him too, and I, I'm gonna make sure he hears he's, that. <laughs> he thinks.
3: Yeah. He yeah. he he. Uh. I just love the way he thinks. Yeah. Like he's thinking about. It's like he's over there having a lot of the same thoughts and same like kind of thing that 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 yeah. I have. And so I, as soon as we talked, we get connected. We were like, oh wow, you're also like this. So, well, me yeah.
0: too. And and uh, well, look, it's all <laughs> this grand grand Venn diagram. I, that's why I resonate with your writings a lot too. You know, AJ has a new book coming out on puzzles. I don't know if you saw that. And
3: I actually have um, yeah. a galley of that. I think, or it's on the way. Um, and I, it's, the, it's like the exact book I want in yeah. life. I'm like so excited. Yeah, about
0: it. yeah. Treating like, what would it be like if to treat all of life like one big puzzle, like the meaning of life as a puzzle? Like you know, you zoom out because yeah. I know you're a big fan of zooming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love that idea of like you know, building scaling up the puzzle idea to to solve not just your life but human. Human uh, existence and more generally.
3: Yeah, you know. totally. It's, I, I, I think it's great to approach complex things that way. Um, and which is the opposite way of approaching things like dogmatically, mm-hmm. right? Which is the, you know, it's the exact opposite mindset. It's like when you're puzzling, you're not attached to anything. You're like exploring, you're looking for stuff, you're, you're, and you're solution oriented as opposed to dogmatic when you're like a, attached to a, a certain. Idea, and you're not exploring and you're trying to protect that idea. It's like the polar opposite of puzzle solving.
0: Yeah. Sounds like you're describing ideology or like firm commitment to an ideology.
3: Yeah. Which, which I think like shuts down puzzling.
0: Yeah. It it shuts down truth seeking. I've noticed some common themes on your, your own social media page of your frustration with a lot of the, um, with a lot of, well, quite frankly, ideologies going around. Is this, is this something that's increasingly frustrating you or? Is there a steady, you know, what's, what's the rate of change <laughs> in, in, in your feelings about this?
3: Yeah, so the way I like to think about it is, like, thinking like a scientist, which is puzzling, um, you know, tr- truth, truth-seeking, you know, humble truth-seeking and, like, not attaching yourself or others to ideas. Like, ideas are just science experiments. If that's one type mm-hmm. of thinking. I, I, I like, I, I have a, a lens I use, like a vertical ladder. And so that, to me, is high-rung thinking. Yeah. And then if you could, as you move down to the low rungs, you become more attached to ideas, more dogmatic, more group thinking, more it becomes I, the ideas you believe become, become deeply intertwined with both your identity and your group, you know, who you want to be friends with. And it defines the whole group, the groups you're in are defined by the ideas that everyone has to believe. So this is the, a different way of thinking. All of us do both live up and down this ladder. Like, no, no, I don't believe anyone is pure high rung. My, my goal is to increase the ratio. Yeah of times I'm on the high rungs to the times I'm on the low rungs. Mm-hmm. But what I'm frustrated by is that I think whether it's social media or maybe the the kind of broadcast media turning into narrow cast tribal media mm-hmm. or whatever whatever it is. I don't I don't know it's hard to know the exact uh inputs that are causing this, but it it seems to me that low rung thinking is on the rise.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Or low rung thinking is, is spreading, going viral. And and little kids are being taught to be low rung thinkers mm-hmm. by people who you know and and i think that um so that yes i think that's very it both just kind of like sad and and i think it's bad for people to be low-rung thinkers i think it's bad for society for but it also kind of it's kind of scary it's like this is you know look at look at history a lot of societies that were doing fine like Mm. devolved into something really really bad because low-rung thinking kind of it was like a an epidemic of it took hold and um and it can become, you know, it's, that's, once that starts to take hold, it's, uh, it's like contagious and it like switches on a switch in people's brains and kind of turns us into kind of crazy tribal mon- monsters. Uh, yeah.
0: Can you give me like a specific example of a well-run thinking idea that kids are being exposed to that, like, what, what, what is an example?
3: So I was just reading an article by Connor Friedersdorf on the Atlantic from 2021, where he was talking about this, uh, Evanston. Illinois, uh, there was a school district that did a you know three three action weeks. For, it was to to basically learn about Black Lives Matter, mm. and the way that it was being taught was that it's nece- You know, it's like learning about like Black Lives Matter is necessary, and that anyone who criticizes it is being is, is essentially a terrible person, is being mm-hmm. a racist. So the the point is that there's nothing wrong with kids learning. It's an important movement of our time. Right, and there's a, a ton, it's incredibly complex, yeah. and there's there, there there's all this historical reasons behind it, and all these different goals, and then but there's different players calling themselves BLM, and there's and so learning about that is yeah that's that's uh, schools should be teaching kids about an important movement of their time, but they should be taught about all different kinds of civil rights movements and, and compare and contrast Black Lives Matter today is similar to other civil rights movements in these mm. ways, and 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 it's different in these ways and. There are pe- there are anti-racist people who who are into anti-racism and they like Black Lives Matter and they think it's the right st- set of strategies and philosophies and worldviews. And there's other people who are anti-racist who actually think Black Lives Matter is not the right approach, right? That's a good education. That leaves the kids thinking, okay, wow, well, I, I just, you know, round things out. And it, it encourages, yeah, of course, these are, there's different views and like you can have different views and, you know, but Connor's point, mm. he quoted a parent, you know, these kids were being taught this is the one way to think, and it's kind of religious, moralistic way. This is what good people think, and anyone who disagrees with the activists that were coming into the classroom to teach are, are bad, bad people, including your parents if they don't agree mm. with it. You know, And so then kids are going home. There's a quote from a parent where she says something like um, – I can't even read it because I just was just looking at it – where she says – that this mother says, "I believe in the importance of every school district, including my own, moving away from a traditionally white centric voice to a broader and more thoughtful view of history that acknowledges the wrongs in both the past and present, recognizes white privilege and honors black experience and the experience of other minority groups. I think we've come to the point, however, where our children are being used as pawns. I feel like we sh- should, can and should work together for a more just equitable world, but don't believe that one political organization with its own idea of how to get there should be the arbiter of progress." There's no room in it. Uh, and so, and then she, so then she tells the story of her, her student, her kid came home and, and, and basically was thinking like, acting like a real zealot about it and was telling what they learned and when the parents, like, you know, the parents challenged it at all. You know, the kid was, had been taught to be a low-run thinker that this is the only way anyone who disagrees is bad. And that's what, so forget the fact that it's BLM. It could be anything. It could be someone coming I and mean, teaching I about. Know. Christian values or American nationalism or uh, someone coming and teaching it about whatever it is, capitalism, communism. But teaching one lens doesn't just deprive the student of a full education of, of under, uh, it doesn't just deprive the student of understanding all the different crevices and nuances of a certain situation. It also teaches them to think in that way, it teaches them to think, I'm right. There's only, listen to the authority. The authority knows. Don't question it. Anyone who questions it's a bad person, and that the way to handle someone who disagrees with you is to tell them that they're, that they're a terrible person. That's training student kids to think in the low rungs, which is awful. Mm. I mean, that's that's a great way to be. It's a great way to not learn and not grow, and to end up siphoning off for any friends that disagree with you and form echo chambers in your in your groups of friends. And um, so, yeah, that's it's. I don't like it.
0: It's interesting because the political organization is usually. Like when people say that phrase, they're not thinking about this specific organization that it's called, right? They're just – it's, it's a very smart move on, on the part of the organization to call Black Lives Matter. It's like you start an organization and you have a whole set of methodologies and everything. You call it like don't kill the children, right? Like anyone who says, I don't believe with don't kill the children <laughs> will be banished.
3: I mean everything does. this. I mean the Nazis were like the, – the, the national socialist workers, you know, it's like the – um. The, the most right-wing caucus is the Freedom Caucus. Well, who wouldn't like that? The Patriot exactly. Act, which was a surveillance exactly. program. Who? Oh, if you don't like that, you must be unpatriotic. Yes. I mean, this is classic, classic classic trickery. It's Yeah, it's coercion.
0: I share with you um, a deep desire to instill critical thinking in, in schools and more of like a scholarly mindset to it. And that's something I've made the case is that we've really lost the scholarly mindset in our society. Very few people do the on the one hand, on the other hand thing that I love to do. You know, and every time I try to do that, people start to glaze their eyes going over, glaze over. I'm like, on the one hand, on the other hand, they're like, they're like, well, you're boring. <laughs> something I like to think about is how to separate those sets of skills, key skills in school from IQ type thinking. Because I think there's a lot of very smart people from an IQ point of view that have well rung thinking. So that's just something I wanted to riff with you a little bit about, because I, I think that, Those are two different kinds of smarts. Maybe they're correlated, but they're not, they're far from perfectly correlated.
3: I've read some research that in some ways higher IQ makes you more prone to low wrong thinking because low wrong thinking emerges from this convincing yourself that you're 100% right and anyone who disagrees with you is an idiot or an asshole or both. And high IQ people have a very clever lawyer in their head who builds a case, builds a very effective case. And you can convince your talk yourself, you know, it's such a good case that you really believe your own bullshit. And I see that a lot. I see, I see a lot of the people who I think are really kind of caught, because again, I don't want to say they are low wrong thinkers, because we all can be. And and yeah. they will, I'm sure at some point in some way, and they're thinking they're, they're less, I'm good. a little more low wrong than they are, who knows. But I see some people who are really caught in it, who really seems like it. And these are some some of the smartest people, I mean, often, often these people are clearly extremely intelligent. There's also just, you know, there, there's another kind of vector, which is a higher education level, which does not necessarily have to do with IQ, but higher education level correlates with more political just because. There could be a lot of reasons, but I think a lot of the time it's the people who, who can afford to, you know, who are in that elite position to get higher education have time on their hands and can, can dive into these ideologies. And as opposed to, I think people trying to make ends meet are less political. They're less, they're less tuned in. I think some of the time there's a lot of different factors, but if anything, I think the kind of elite echelons of society, whether it's, whether it's in education or in IQ or whatever you want to say are often some of the, the biggest. Uh, kind of low run pitfalls.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's an it's a truly excellent point. Were you in gifted education as a kid?
3: I was like a higher math class uh <laughs> for a couple of years. Like I, I was always in like the high groups for like reading groups and math groups. But I, I don't I don't think we had gifted education programs. Okay. So I don't I don't uh You went to a public school I was just in a pub pub yeah I was just in a public yeah. school system and uh
0: were you I mean what were you like as a kid? Like did you were you uh, shy introverted were you like the class president you know what
3: i was the <laughs> class president actually um i i was not shy or introverted i was i was a class clown um <laughs> and i was i was in trouble a lot like for you know talking in class or you know being whatever silly i got like calls home a lot and got in trouble i also was the class president in high school um i uh it's par- partially because like i'm like a very marginal athlete and it was like sports oh, was everything sports? there and the, Well, I I was very uh, mediocre on the ski team and like playing with my friends, but like I wasn't going to go, you know, into my high school, like the varsity athletes, they're often like college athletes, just like next level. I wasn't going to do that. And then there was like the theater crowd and like I did a little of that, but like I wasn't really into like, you know, theater either. And so I was like, all right, well, there's this other thing I'll I'll, like drive myself towards. And I just like went for the uh, class office, Mm -hmm. which is it's a pretty inane, like looking back, it's just like, it's so like, I don't even know what we were doing, but it was fun. Uh It was fun. Like running a campaign. It was like a, it was like a game, you know, like, um, but anyway, I was like, but I was very like thinky. Like I was like, I, I was at camp. I was, you know, when I was like, five, six, seven, the, there would be, kids like in the group walking with the counselor heading from one thing to another. And I would always be, always be like, Tim, and I'd be way behind like kicking rocks in my own world. <laughs> that was very common. Like in my own world, just very much like a lot of times kind of just like buried in my own world, like thinking and, you know, in my, own. so I did a lot of that.
0: Did any teachers comment on you being a good writer? Like, did they see your potential? Really. I'm always interested in this because I'm very interested in how we can activate children's potential. And you are a very accomplished writer. And I'm just curious, did anyone identify that?
3: No, I don't think so because I was very good at math. I was always like, you know, like math was, I was always getting told you're, you know, you're very good at math You're and whatever. With writing, I feel like I didn't have a chance to do any kind of like fun writing, which is when I like actually try to write like something fun. Like you have to do, you know, you have to do your thesis statement and your topic sentences. And I was just trying to get through it probably on the morning before it was due, like frantically, you know. I don't think like the school I was in, I didn't even realize that writing was like, even something I like could do or like that I would want to, to pursue until I started just for fun, like blogging and writing in a totally colloquial voice. And then I was like, Oh, this is fun. And like, so yeah, I actually thought of writing as like something I kind of like didn't like at all mm-hmm. uh, until I was like 23 or so. What
0: about drawing uh stick figures?
3: Drawing is something I always, it was like the thing I was, one of the things I was always least talented at, you know, like some people, can just like draw a face and it looks kind of like a real face or they can draw like a horse and it just looks, they don't want to put the. It's like, I, I still, if you ask me to draw a face or a horse, I, it will look like a second grader. did. And so again, this is interesting that like, cause there were things I, I was good at that I knew I was good at, like math, like music, you know, I always composed music. I can hear something and I can play it. And Like I always thought I was going into music, you know, but the writing kind of came out of nowhere. I was blogging for fun and, and it turned out that like blogging with that voice, like colloquial was something I liked. And then I thought one day uh, I just, crossed my mind I was like maybe I'll like draw a little stick comic in an old blog I had and I did and I had fun doing it and then people really liked it and I was like oh my god this is so fun and it became like I, and then I wrote like five comic posts in a row and I was it was so fun and then I stopped that blog because I got tied up with some other project and then two years later I was like when I came back to writing to start wait But why I I was like oh i am be definitely bringing drawings into this it was a good match like silly bad stick figure drawings I think is a, it, it was like it was a good match for my writing tone. I was like, oh, th- these fit together. And so I was like, all oh, right, it's like that's why I think people should always try a lot of stuff. Yes. Because you never know when you're going to stumble upon something. You don't know what you're good at or what, you know, you actually like until you try a bunch of things. And it's you're not giving yourself a chance to stumble upon something that you're like, oh man, I'm good at this, uh, unless you try a lot of stuff.
0: Did you ever try that strategy with women or men or whatever you're into? <laughs>
3: women and uh yeah i mean honestly i do think that by the time i met my wife when i was 29 it is like a skill you get good at Mm -hmm. and i don't mean in like the pickup artist way i mean because i mean like there's a whole language that uh, a a romantic language that is that the people speak and if you don't know how to speak it and you're just being your normal self you're gonna fall on your face a lot which i certainly did and it's like you start to understand that language as you get older and like for me if i if i if i was you know cuz i was this i have never done the app swiping thing cuz i met my wife right before it started which is too bad it seems like it would have been fun although people seem to hate it so i don't know maybe i'm not you know but um it's not fun but if if i i can if, verify Yeah. i can verify <laughs> you, are you are you on the apps as we speak i
0: am i am
3: it seems like it would be fun man i seem like oh my god i feel like i procrastinate all day like trying to find dates but <laughs> But if I went up to it, just say I was in a bar and I was with my friends and I saw a girl who I wanted to go talk to. Early on, when I'm, I don't know, 17, 18, 19, I, I would have probably not done very well. But when I was older, like in my mid-20s, I, I would have done much better in that situation because I, a few things I started to realize is is that uh, well uh the, 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 the biggest thing I can say, if, like the advice I would give anyone is, uh, I used to think of it as like, the game Grand Theft Auto, right? You, like, could just, you know, run over people on the sidewalk and, like, drive. And it's kind of, part of the fun is, like, you can kind of, like, be in a non-consequence land and, like, yeah. do whatever you want, right? Now, if you apply that to the romantic world, what I mean is I'm not saying you should go and, like, be, you know, like, grope people. I'm saying you should go up and, like, talk to someone and, and think of it as a video game. And you still mm-hmm. be a nice, good person. But, like, if it were a video game, you might just go up and like start a random combo. You might go up and like point to the bartender's hat and say like something, a joke about that. And just like you, you, you wouldn't, you would just try stuff and you wouldn't care. And that's a superpower because there's a part of our brains, male and female who, if you, in a small tribe, which is when our brains were developed, if you tried to hit on uh, someone and it didn't work and you got rejected, that was going to, you know, the, the, the other, you know, if you're a guy the the, the girls are going to go talk, Uh, About how much of a loser you are, and you're done. That's it. You're not going to mate. because, like, all the you're now a pariah forever. And that you know Mm. that you're you're, our brains still think that way. So it's terrifying to approach a a a girl or a guy in a bar, and Mm. and and so we. But but that but it's a superpower when you're like there's literally a million people I can approach in this one city, and they'll I'll never see this person again. So I'm just going to go up and be myself and be silly and whatever, and like she might not be into it. But then I'll go up to someone else and. And who, who I think is interesting. And, and it's like so often that's like magnetic because it's just like someone with confidence being themselves and not trying so yes. hard and not, and no fear. So I think removing the fear and just being like, this is silly. It's a game. Dating is silly. Like it's, it's, we're all in a silly situation trying to figure out who to date here. Just have fun. Be silly and like be yourself and don't worry so much. And I think like once I started to absorb that, it's a superpower because what you really want is you want to end up on first dates. With people who actually might be a good yes. match for you, and if you can go, if you can go on a hundred of those, you're probably going to find like an amazing life partner somewhere. The problem is, so that, that's that was always the goal for me. Is like, is like, I just want to uh, figure if someone I see someone in a bar, you know, attraction's the first kind of hook. At that point, I want to go and talk to this person, and if it would be a good match for me, I want to end up on a first date yes. with her. And the problem is, and the problem is, what's what's sad is when that person would have been a good match for you, but you can't pull off that bar interaction. So she does, she never even realizes that she'd be a good match. She just thinks of you as a weirdo and or, or creepy or whatever, and, and you're out. And so it's like, you know, the the, key, the skill is getting get, getting good at actually ending up on first dates with people who really would have been a good match for you if, like if, if you had that chance.
0: Brilliant things you're saying. But what if you're like me and you're attracted to what's not good for you? The kind of, the kind of women that I'm attracted to are like dangerous women <laughs> and it never, it's not good for me. I, the ones that I probably should be approaching because, because you made a point, like the ideal is to go on first dates with people who are good for you. So you just made me think of that. I'm being a little cheeky, but I'm also being a little vulnerable with you.
3: Yeah. Okay. So let's but, but get into this more Dan- dangerous, meaning what? what, what is it on, you know, when you're now like, do you end up in, in a relationship and then you keep realizing this is not the right person or is it like what what's actually happened
0: no no more on dates more on dates
3: with people that i
0: realize are not the right people i am I'm, I'm good enough not to get into a full on relationship
3: and why are they not the right people
0: because it it usually doesn't go past a couple dates <laughs> so it's probably there now
3: because, because because you because you don't you you lose interest
0: yeah i mean I, I, suddenly <laughs> this became all the spotlight got on me and I'm, I'm like, curious. So I'm sweating. I'm like, what just happened? What just happened in this interview? Well, we might as well
3: explore. I, I'm actually no, curious because to me, it's like, it's such a tragedy when like yeah, people yeah. like, it's like, there's, there's so many good matches out there for everyone. And it's like, uh, it's like, so, um, it's such a, it's so sad when it's like, it's like these, yeah, there's some, some like block in the way. Here's something I would say. This is another thing I learned. This is a a, a huge piece of wisdom that I learned from being safe. Bas- I was single basically for 10 straight years, most of my, you know, most of my twenties. It's a hack to be your, ex- this is more like once you're even in the bar, but especially, you know, cause that, that's like, it takes, it's like an actual game in the bar. And like, you have to get good at that specific game mm. to be able to get that first date. Once you're on a first date, I think it becomes simple, which is be your exact self or be yourself on a great day. I mean, you don't want to, you know, yeah. be, you know, I know yeah, mean. Be, be, be be a be a true version of yourself that is a one of the best versions 100%. of yourself. But be you because it's a perfect filter, and, and and it can also take anxiety away. If you're trying to get someone to like you, and you're saying my goal is to get her to want to date me, a now you might fail at that, and it's really upsetting when you feel You think, what did I do wrong? I I messed up, right? And b if you win that game, and now you're actually on date five with this person. She's on date five with some version of you that you've been putting on and that's who she is. You know, you found someone who was interested in this person, this version of you, which is um, not, maybe not really you because you're, you're trying to manipulate. Yep. So if you're, I would just go and be my full self, my full nerdy self, my full excited, energetic, super talkative, interrupty self, my curious self. And that, that's a lot of, Females would find that annoying or unappealing or whatever, and that's and and so if if she ghosted me after that first date, I would never get upset. I'm like, I just learned she's not right for me because she that I she but and then the people you end up attracting are the people who happen to like you. Yeah, and so this is
0: brilliant advice. I mean, and it's so simple in a way. It's like a lot of this pickup artistry game, the game stuff is like so complicated so much extra extra
3: so much of that is just trying to get laid mm. if, if if your goal is just to to sleep around right. that's a whole different
0: that, that's a whole it's a whole different, different story that's a different story
3: yeah yeah like what always excited me was trying to like was was like having a crush on someone and like uh you know going on a first date my you know my dream first date was like oh we're hitting it off so well and we're like um, we're having so much fun and like we are super into each other. So if, if you, that, that's a, that game I think is easier because you, you just, you just, yeah, you just be yourself yeah. and, and drink. I mean, alcohol is so helpful in these situations. Like it's, it's, it's because the point is the what alcohol can do is it can actually calm that part of the brain that thinks you're in 50,000 BC. And this is a dire situation. Alcohol can make you shrug and say, it's a date. Doesn't It not it, it's not the beginning or the end of the world. Like, it's a date. Let's have fun. And if it doesn't work, I'll laugh at myself. That's a great zone to be in. And alcohol like, helps get you in that zone.
0: Yeah. Can we unpack the physics here of why uh, wanting to sleep with people is a different game? Is it because, like, let's nerd out on this intellectually. Is it because, when you get right down to it, what you're trying to do, in essence, is manipulate people into finding you physically attractive who don't actually find you physically attractive? So that's like a harder game. Is that is that along the lines of why? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean... It, it, there's a whole level. So it's like, you know, you can go to really kind of predatory mode yeah, where, yeah. you know, uh, a, a guy is tr- actually manipulating women and like telling them, like, like making them think he loves her, you know, so that he can, you know, and then, uh, or like, you know, uh, to watch Tinder Swindler, like making her think she's, he's richer. Right. Like that's full manipulative, like, but you, you, but you can also just like, I feel like if the goal is to sleep with them and you don't have goals beyond that, right. like you, you don't actually want a relationship. Then, then, yeah, like probably what you're gonna end up doing is, it, you're not trying to, like, yeah, you don't need her or him to know the real you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the point. You are trying to make. You're trying to be someone they want to sleep with.
0: It's seduction, seduction. Yes.
3: Yeah, which is, which is, you know, but it's also we're we're like animals. That's fun. There's nothing wrong with like playing that game. Is again, I think what's wrong is when you go to the next level and you're actually hurting people. You're 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 really manipulating. You know, saying I love you and you're yeah. or just making. Oh, yeah. them think and you don't, that that's, that's, that's pretty evil. But like, yeah. I think like if, if you're being upfront about what you want and you're just in full like flirty mode, trying to sleep around, I think like everyone's, it's an, it's within everyone guy or girl's right to like have a phase like that and like want that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if, if but just just don't, you don't want to hurt people along the way. And there's, there's ways to do it that hurt every, you know, you're a, a chain of victims and there's ways to do it where no one gets hurt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, you're playing a video game, but there are consequences, but the consequences aren't so bad. I'm trying to like integrate all this stuff because you said it's like a video game like grand Theft audio when you approach uh, audio. listen to me <laughs> auto auto when you approach a woman. Um, there are consequences if you lie to them, but there are no consequences if you're just being yourself and you're being uh, leading with a kindness. We need nuance here. we need more nuance. yeah
3: yeah, it's an important disclaimer like like the the, the grand Theft auto thing. So you want to divide because hurting other people is real consequences. So you're not in Grand Theft Auto. Correct. That's the re- you're in Correct. the real world. Then you shouldn't forget that. You're in Grand Theft Auto about getting rejected. Like if if you approach someone and you you're yourself and you go and you you start to try to play a silly game with them in the bar, which again sometimes it's it's so much better than just going up and being awkward or going up and doing like a cheesy pickup line. Just to go up and like be yourself and just like make some comment about something and start making a joke or play a game with them and like try to you know. I don't know, whatever it is, like, if you're just going up and experimenting, and you get rejected, there's no consequence there. That's, you can pretend that that was an avatar that rejected your avatar, and okay, and on to the next, which is actually true. You're never going to see them again. They're a figment of your imagination as far as it matters. But they're actually a real person. So when it comes to hurting them, you're in the real world. So when I say Grand Theft Auto, I'm talking entirely about, like, you getting rejected does not matter. It is not a bad thing. It's irrelevant. You just did an experiment. You learned something. Cool. Take that information. Move on. But what happens if you don't have this mindset, it's our nature is to incorrectly think that getting rejected by a stranger is mortifying and crushes your confidence. And it's like this awful, awful, awkward, hideous life experience. And you're going to be rattled for the rest of the night, the rest of the week. And that is a complete delusion based on a world that our brain was built for that we don't actually live in. And so shedding that is a superpower. That's
0: yeah, a great point.
3: And there's just so many, there's so many people. So like, if you can just like, you know, try a bunch of different things when you're trying to get that first date. Again, I'm probably sound like an old man talking about how to meet someone at a bar. Cause this, this is all my world where I was talking about meeting someone at a wedding or a bar or like a party. I don't understand the app world exactly. And what's how that works. Um I imagine it's, it's similar though. It's a, if I were doing it right now, my goal would be, again, this is if I were trying to find a girlfriend, my goal would be there's a game that has, you have to get good at. But the goal of the game is to get the right people to go on first dates with you when, you know, the, to find people that would be a good match for you, identify that and then charm them enough that they're interested in going on a first date with you in the texting phase. And then once you're on the first date, then I just think it's easy. Just go be yourself and see what happens. So, but I think that that's, it seems like it's a game now of like trying to get the right first dates, but I just, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Now Tim, are you you are you married? Did you say you're married?
3: Yeah. Are
0: you it's a too personal a question to let me know. Are you hoping for children? Is that on the horizon? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think so both both me and my wife one quarter of us wants to not have kids and mm-hmm. three quarters does so we probably will. Mm-hmm. But like there's definitely a a very solid chunk of each of us. It's like we really like each other. We really like our lives. We both like our jobs. Like it's just like, we're not in, we're not in We're not like, ah, oh, like we're, there's a missing hole here. If we have kids, now we'd be a family. And it's like, we're a perfectly fine family, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And it saddles you. It, t- it takes away your attention off yourself, which maybe is probably good for most people and probably for us too. But, you know, there's something nice about being able to be selfish and really just focus on your pursuits yeah. and your friends and your fun. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's like having kids, you are intentionally saying, uh, I am going to divert a lot of that forever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but three quarters of us have reasons of you know for it just seems really fun to have raised kid a uh, kid together um I look at like my parents now mm. we just I was just with my two sisters and my parents for the weekend and like uh it was so fun it's like a big group of friends yeah. and like it 's hard to imagine being me being seventy and not being happy about having like three twenty somethings mm. you know kids mm. so i so yeah, I think we will.
2: There's a problem, but it's yeah. it's a
3: hard one. I, I think I think more people should think about it. I don't think it should be an automatic. People think it's not. You know, people. You know, I think couples often think getting married is an automatic thing, and maybe we should, you know, be a little more open minded. And same with like couples who are married or whatever staying together. Like, think having kids is just like that's what you have to do. Like, it's like you go to school and you have your job and you have to eat and you have kids. Like, it's like well, I, I don't I don't think. On the other hand, like this is like an Elon Musk thing. He would be furious if maybe heard this because he thinks that like people not having kids is a, an absolute catastrophe for future humanity, which is probably correct. But you know, uh, there's a lot of things that I could, that, that like in a collective sense are probably a bad for humanity that I would still, I still do. So I'm not like,
0: he thinks having kids is bad for humanity. He's a natalist. No,
3: no. He's the opposite. He's the opposite of a natalist. I gotcha. He wants people having lots of kids. And he thinks in the Western world, there's this, this, this kind of yeah. this, this trend towards people having fewer and fewer kids. And what you end up with this, you know, an inverted pyramid society um, where the weight of supporting the retired generation just crushes the pro- productivity of the younger generation. And is and uh, the shrink population shrinks. And he thinks that's a disaster. So he, he's, he wishes that everyone would have three or more kids. I think. Well,
0: he um, wants to populate Mars. He wants, he wants a whole, he's got an ulterior motive there.
3: yeah but maybe so you.
0: you know you've written about ego and that's another topic very interesting to me you wrote if your ego is a backpack each opinion you tie to your identity is like a rock in that backpack cool life hack toss some of the rock out of the bag to feel lighter and freer has that is that a process you've worked on personally over the years do you feel like did you ever have a big ego and like now it's notably different
3: yeah, I get actually. I probably should have said identity instead of ego there, because I get a little mm-hmm. confused about what what the they're ego not the same is. It's a little bit of a confusing yeah. yeah it's a little confusing concept for me. Like, I'm not really. I guess I don't really know what an ego is. Like, I have ideas of it. The
0: self is a large representation of all of our self ideas about ourselves, like our self concepts, like our values, our who we are. You know, it's kind of reflecting the consciousness back on ourselves, It's holding up a mirror. That's our self. The ego is the certain subset of the self. Which includes the representations of def- the defense mechanisms that um, constantly uh, make sure that we have a, a positive evaluation of ourselves. So it's really like defending the fort of of that positive uh, evaluation. The slightest criticism, the slightest anything that might not that make us think that we're not great. You know, we have to fight that. Does that help at all? Mm.
3: Yeah. So it's like it's like uh, the string that holds your self esteem up. It's like when there's like gravity pulling it down. This is like the force that's trying to hold it up.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. Or something. Yeah. And you can have positive identity that's latched onto the ego, or, you, or that's not latched on the ego. Or you can have, uh, you can have a very defensive identity. So you can distinguish between defensive identity versus positive, constructive identity.
3: So defensive identity is what is like it's like it's like one that will at all costs like even at this. Yeah. Even at even at the cost of self self delusion will That's like right. and at the cost of like of like lashing out at people. Delusion.
0: Like. Um, I've written about collective narcissism, so mm-hmm. even just um, uh, the the person within the group that does the slightest criticism of something, you ban you banish them from the kingdom. You know, Interesting. you're out. You're out of the group because you know we can't take our identity. You know, the slightest criticism for growth. But I think a positive identity is one where you want to grow. You know.
3: Yeah. It it seems like the the, the, the defensive identity is is a complete impediment to any form of growth.
0: Yeah, just like it is with a self.
3: I tweeted something today that I think is kind of trying to get at this where I said Mm -hmm. that like insecurity causes people to build like an arrogance bunker Hmm. that they hide in. Like to me, arrogance is – well, sometimes arrogance is just like you literally are like too naive to – realize that you don't know stuff and that you're you know so so we all probably have that phase at some point but there's a lot of grown-ups who are like kind of still you know you know they're building themselves bunkers of some kind to shield themselves to you know protect themselves and i think like that that's an impediment to growth while on the other hand like i think humility actually emerges from confidence because like if you're confident you can like relax mm. all of those defense mechanisms and just be like, I don't need to build a shield cause I'm safe anyway. I'm safe just being here, yes. right. So there doesn't need to be a bunker. I don't need to hide in a bunker. I don't need a shield. I don't need a wall. Uh, and therefore I can acknowledge that of course there's a lot. I don't know. Of course I, I might be wrong. Like, of course I can self improve yeah. and, um, I'm flawed because you know, you're not relying on perfection. Um, of any kind for, to feel worthy, um, and so confidence then yields humility, which then yields growth and learning and and improving, which then yields more confidence. And so I think I think we can both we can all fall into both of these. But but your but what you quoted was a tweet that I think I probably used the wrong word there. I think what I meant is identity. You know, Paul Graham wrote, you know, keep your identity small, and I I think that's a great goal for everyone. Mm. Like I think um I, I think of it it is like a backpack where if I'm like I am. I am um uh a Democrat, okay? And that's who I am. I just put a big old rock in that backpack where now when the Democratic Party is acting a way that my principles would normally disagree with, I have to do so much work, mental work and I have to, you know, arguments and I, 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 I forget pursuing truth. I can't do that anymore. I can't afford to. I have to support this thing in my backpack. I have to make sure that it's always good to be a Democrat. <laughs> And that smart people are always, you know, the, the, the concept that smart equals Democrat and good equals Democrat have to be true, yes. or else I'm bad and I'm stupid, yes. right? Why get Drop that. Drop that thing and say the Democratic Party resonates with me now. It might not later, and it doesn't resonate with me in every way. And if it goes down the, the the sewer, I'm not going down with it. I'm not attached to it. It's it's. I'm gonna. I'll I'll drop it. Basically, don't be so. You know, don't be loyal to your ideas. Like, be you know, be be flaky. Drop your ideas. If uh, drop your your associations and stuff, if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit with you, you know, hold, be loyal to your principles, latch on to your principles and attach those to your identity, you know, core basic principles. Don't get too specific. And you start getting specific. And what I, what I mean by that is like core principle can be kindness. Mm. But if you start saying, well, kindness equals anti-racist, for example, mm. or something like this, right? Now, oof, well, because anti-racist can become, you know, can get attached to um, a bunch of different kinds of ideas, and now you have to suddenly, you know, take on all those ideas. So, you know, very core kind of basic principles, I think, are great. You know, you can, you know, and I think that most of us could, could list them, and they're not that hard. Truth and kindness and, like, loyalty to people, you know, are, are something that almost, like, almost all of us would, you know, some people would would say, you know, self-reliance, whatever it is, you know, there's certain basic things I think are great. And even those, I think you should always reevaluate, go back to the drawing board and say, do I still care about this? Is this still a value of mine? You know, those should be reevaluated. But the point is those can stay in your backpack, but nothing else. That's, that's how I, now I say this, this is advice. Of course I do it. I have stuff in my backpack at all the time mm-hmm. um, we all do. But yeah.
0: I love it. No, I love it. And that, that just, you, you, how far do you take that? Uh, you know, politics is, ob- is the obvious one and religion is the obvious one. But like, how many things can you throw out of your backpack and still feel a sense of self? You know what I mean? Like, like just, I'm doing the thought experiment here. Like, just how many, how how identityless can you really be? So you throw out, do you throw out the male one? You know, you're no longer see yourself as having any uh, gender identity. Do you throw out the... um you know, think of all the things we take for granted. If we start throwing them out, you know, what 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 are we left with in terms of our self concept?
3: I think, like a Buddhist or some high philosophical person, would probably say yes. I kind of throw yeah. it all out, yeah. and maybe one day I'll decide that's a goal of mine. But I I, I don't go that extreme. Um, mm. I think because I feel like at some point you you lose a personality, right? Like it's okay to. Yeah. I mean, I think who you really are is like there's some very inner awareness. It's like the actual spectator looking at it and everything else. And it, it's, it's always learning things and it's getting like wiser and linear. I think that is you, but I think it's okay to like attach something. Like I, like curiosity is always a driver of mine. Yeah. And it's also something, it's also like, it's also a, um, it's a virtue in my head. So I always, so it's something I want to nurture in myself, that part of me. And the times when I'm, you know, feeling uncurious, like I want to, um, see what's going on and like try to fix that. Cause I think that's, so I, I think, I don't know, to me, I think that's why I said like principles are, can be, you know, are good to attach to, but nothing too specific. Yeah. There's some spectrum here. And I think somewhere there's somewhere along the line is the right place to be at least in my head, but it's not all the way to the Buddhist side for me. Uh Again, maybe I, I can imagine someone wiser than me looking at me and saying, yes, you're almost there. But the fact that you don't want to go all the way there shows that you're still whatever. And maybe that's true. But at the moment I'm like three quarters of the way, I think down the spectrum is my goal where, some core things about yourself and kind of some conception of yourself is okay. And some kind of personality and, and a certain quirks of yours and certain, you know, interests of yours. And I think um are okay to kind of be like, that's me. That's who I am,
4: yeah.
3: but you can still reevaluate those things. But then, but then all the much more specific, you know, political movements and I, you know, national identities. And um, I, I think like, ethnic identities, I think these things are just, just cause trouble. I don't think that, and I I don't think they give a person enough credit. People are so deeply complex individuals and like
4: Mm.
3: being like, you know, I'm Jewish being like, I am a Jew. It's like who I'm like, I'm so different than like so many Jews. I know like we have nothing in common. Like, and then some, sometimes we do like, it's just like, why would I allow that to define me? Like Mm. it's, especially since like ethnically like you go back and we're all mutts. Like, so it's like, it's not like it's like an actual pure bloodline or anything. And then, I'm not religious, so like I'm not like, pol- like political Jewishness, whatever that would be, like Israel or whatever like I'm just not attached to any of those things, mm. so I just don't know why I would um ever allow that to become like an important part of of my that's just how I feel
0: I absolutely hear you, and I think this this is a a really important point that is causing so much strife, but the solution out is not obvious to me, and I'm a psychologist, I try to understand psychology. Try to be like, well, how can we tempt people to to see people as human first? And it's almost like I have to fight to do that. I have to fight to do that. It's not, it's not the centrifugal, centrifugal force, whatever the word is. Do you have any ideas on what we can
3: do? Well, I think we can think about what is causing people, what causes people to, again, I think this is a shield, yeah. what causes people to build a costume around themselves? that hides themselves inside. And the costume might say Republican, you know, Christian, it might say, you know, I was a lawyer or whatever it is. And, it, and it's like, they're building that thing around themselves for a reason, because they don't feel like it's, en- they take that away and it's just them. And somehow it doesn't feel like it's enough. Right. And it's this notion that like, you are defined by these things. And if you don't know what you believe and you don't know what groups, you, you know, you, you're in, then you don't know who you are. That I think is, is, not tr- it just not true. It doesn't make sense. Uh, every, humans are so complex. Every human, talk to any human and get in their brain and really get it. Talk about their childhood. Talk about what they really interest them. Talk about what movies they like and why. What parts do they like? What scenes? What actually did I? You're gonna find like a totally unique point of view in there somewhere, mm. and a totally unique sense of humor, right? And like, and w- what are you scared of and why? And like, how does it feel if you really got into these things? You, you find like a completely unique situation, um, and so that's enough. That's it. That's all. It's just like, you know, uh, you, you are a complete unique set of like traits and, and internal thinking, your plastic brain spaghetti in the plant, you know, the spaghetti of the neurons in that brain is like no other brain before and no other brain uh, that will ever come. And why do you need more than that? That is awesome. Like just go and like be that person. Cause the world is different with, with that, with you in it and with it, you out of know, it. it if you if you're not here that particular brain is no longer in the world we don't have that so you're adding something just by being like as uniquely you as you can right so this all sounds so cheesy but it's also like not to me it's the thing that i think is missing from i think people are when they, they, there's a lot of um dogma that makes people feel like mm. y- you are just your race your your religion your you know your your nationalism, your, your your nationality, whatever it is, like, and your profession, and your how much money you make, and, you know, your marital situation, that these are the things that define you, the kind of the on paper version. And to me, that is like, so much more boring and less unique, because there's a lot of people that have those things, you can check those boxes, like, you know, but there's no one that has your particular brain chemistry going on and your particular worldview and your life experiences. So I think, yeah, I think just getting people to kind of feel like, and it's it's such a relief. Be like, okay, I don't have to be. I don't even have to know what I think. I can admit that I don't know. I don't know what I think about politics, maybe, mm. or maybe I do, but like, I, I I'm i not sure where I got those views, and like, I need to maybe reevaluate, and like, maybe I don't know what I think about Ukraine and Russia. That's okay, because that's really you—the real spaghetti brain in there doesn't know. Yeah. And 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 trying to hide that is why it's because you think that the that saying "I don't know" makes you not enough. Like you're you're missing something. You're not adequate. But that's because there's a this kind of, um, this dogma that you've fallen for that that makes you think that, you know, if I don't know what I think, you know, I have to re- have all the right opinions on Ukraine and Russia or else, like, I'm stupid or I'm, like, it's, like, it's just so misguided. It, well, preach. <laughs> I,
0: I, I completely agree. You know, I, I think that the the self-actualization, the creative self-actualization potential of each human is the most important thing. You know, and that's a lot of what you're saying. You, know, you distinguish between two kinds of intellectual culture Idea lab versus echo chamber. You say idea lab is a safe space for people, a dangerous space for ideas. Echo chamber is a safe space for a sacred set of ideas and people who express them and a dangerous space for opposing ideas and people who express them. do you think we're seeing a lot more echo chamber these days than idea lab?
3: Yeah, I think like w- w- one of the things that can be helpful to understand if you're in an echo chamber or if you're enforcing an echo chamber is to define it and also to define its opposite. So, I think of an echo chamber not as a, a, not as a physical place or even a metaphorical place, but as a intellectual culture. It's an intellectual culture where the truth might matter somewhat, but it doesn't matter as much as upholding a certain set of sacred ideas. Maybe it's one sacred idea. Maybe it's a certain set. And those ideas be- being true is matters more than finding out whether they're true or, or finding out the truth. Um and so we all do this in our heads when we're kind of what I would call low-rung thinking when we are um when we are kind of out to confirm our beliefs deep down more than we're out to find the truth and question our beliefs. Um uh, but as a group then we kind of collaborate in low-rung thinking. And it's like th- there'll be this kind of group enforcement mechanism that you know it, sometimes it's one person in the group is kind of the bully And everyone knows that, like, oh, when they're around, like, don't don't challenge their politics. You know, don't say anything about, you know, God or whatever it is. And that that means that one person is kind of enforcing echo chamber culture on everyone. Sometimes it's the whole group kind of agrees. Yes, obviously, we're all in this group because we're good people who believe this. And those are bad people who believe, who don't, who who think other things. And that's classic echo chamber culture. Because now, if we're good people who believe this, they're tying this belief to good people They don't want to think they're not good people. So whatever it is, this, this thing has to be true. And now all of the discussions, all of the intellectual effort in the group will be actually working towards having people continue to believe that thing rather than working on finding truth. So we all are part of this. We all have been someone who's enforcing it. You know, it can be, you know, you and your spouse, you and your friend, your parent. It can be a bigger group, your family. It can be a much bigger group, a classroom but at any point one you know one of us has been the the person where it's like you know we have all been the person who's we're um, super sensitive for some reason and we we our egos involved and we get really angry about some certain viewpoint but even more so, probably we've all been part of a, a situation where we're having an echo chamber enforced upon us, or we're just complicit in it. It's just human nature to do this because a long time ago, when we evolved, like it makes sense that probably uh, all thinking the same stuff and believing in the same gods and whatever was helpful. I mean, that's my guess, at least. You, you probably know a lot more about the origins than I do. But anyway, I think we talk about echo chambers, and it really helps to define them in relation to their opposite, which I call an ideal app which is also an intellectual culture, but it's the opposite kind where the no idea is that sacred. So in an echo chamber, I mean, an idea lab culture, um, it's kind of fun to disagree. Disagreement isn't awkward or like, Ooh, now we can't be friends because we disagree. It's like disagreement is what friends do. It's like, it's almost like a sport to, to, to try to poke holes in people's arguments and say, aren't you being biased? Uh, aren't you being hypocritical? Or like, are you you know don't you have a blind spot here? Are you missing this thing? I think that's not a good analogy. That's not a good comparison. That's apples to oranges. You know, devil's advocate playing with each other. Like, this is Idealab, and, and it, it's much less stressful because you can throw out any idea and you're safe. No one's going to, you know, be angry at you. But um, you also can kind of disagree, and it's not awkward. And so it, it ends up like ideas are like science experiments that uh, the group is kind of kicking around together and playing with, and no one's taking At you personally, if like the science experiment being kicked was mine in the first place, no one's like, Oh, you're all being so mean to my idea. It's like, it's not my idea. I just threw it out there for all us all to examine and like, Oh, you all hate it. Like, maybe I was wrong. Now, it's that sounds idyllic. Of course, it's usually somewhere in between where when your idea is getting kicked in an idea lab, it doesn't feel good. You probably have some (laughs) instinct to be echo chambery about it and like get angry and like say that, you know. But the, the the thing that defines an idea lab isn't that people don't have those urges. It's that the overriding culture polices those urges. So if in an idea lab, I did say something, I did start kind of getting really offended. The other people in the group are going to kind of make fun of me and be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you being so sensitive? Like, it's just, just criticizing your idea. And I'm going to get put back in my place. Uh, in an echo chamber culture, that wouldn't happen. A sensitive person... Is you know the group seeds itself to the sensitive person or to the offended person, and uh, th- mm. there goes there goes the discussion. There goes the ability to grow as a thinker in this group. It actually makes you a worse thinker to be in an in an echo chamber. While being in an idea lab it makes everyone a better thinker, and the group itself can really like accomplish great things.
0: So funny! I just tweeted something out this morning that said, uh, "I'm so sensitive to people telling me I'm too sensitive." <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't stand it when people say that's that. <laughs> funny. That's that's some good some good yeah. meta sensitivity.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, what you're saying it makes so much sense. And it's, but it's, it's so tied to what we talked about earlier about identity and ego. And if your idea is tied to your identity, then you're going to be much more likely to take it personally and to not just be okay just being told you're too sensitive.
3: Or it's, if it's tied to your self esteem, if, you know, if, if, if this idea yeah. is not true, then I'm not so smart or then I'm not so good or yeah. all these things that I'm trying to, um, that I'm clinging on to, you know, This notion, these notions that I'm clinging onto about myself all fall apart. And that only happens if you allow an idea to define you in the first place.
0: Well, I I very much agree with that. I I think that it, it does get legitimately tricky when we talk about like marginalized groups, right? I mean, there are people who feel their ideas are. Some ideas could be dangerous. They see some ideas as dangerous to their existence, to their ex- it's an existential, like ex- existential ideas. We can call it. We can coin something here. Um, and you can obviously, you know, with empathy, see how that would be very upsetting to people when they see uh, an opposing point of view that, as they perceive it, is is uh, dehumanizing them. Right. So how do you how do you have really productive? To me, that's a that I have no clear answer. By the way. But I would love to get your thoughts. How do you open up a space for opposing points of view and things to talk about things in an abstract level um, without um, making clear that you're discriminating whatsoever the the person in front of you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a spectrum. Like on one end of the spectrum, you know, you're you're saying racial slurs, or you're saying genocidal ideas, and you're trying to, I mean, and that is genuinely like very harmful stuff to be doing. And, for sure, and so. The way I look at it is like 99% of the populace would want to police those two things I just said, especially genocidal, but also racial slurs today are like almost, almost no one, you know, a very tiny percentage of the U.S. is like, you know, thinks it's fine to, to just kind of like, um, you know, be an open bigot. And so if 98% of people are kind of find something to be kind of reprehensible to say, then I don't think that's echo chamber policing. I think that is actually okay. like the general marketplace of of kind of uh, humanity, the, the the marketplace of um, of you know kind of decency policing, you know, and so so you know if you went into the I you know use an example if you went into like a coffee shop and you made like a lewd comment to the barista, like not just are you probably going to get kicked out of the coffee shop, but everyone in the line is going to be like, dude, what, what's wrong with you, right? Like you're going to get policed by the general public, right? Because almost everyone thinks that's an awful thing to do, and so there is a part of the spectrum where i think you get to the higher and higher percentage of the population agrees this is bad when I mean, you get to these up in the 90s i think it's actually not echo chamber it's you know you'd say it is an echo chamber about those things but that's okay that's like you know that society has decided as a much broader group that like this is this is something that that we've, we we don't want now the problem i have is when things way down on the other side of the spectrum where maybe 20% or 10% or 5% of of you know broader people in society would think this thing is not okay to say or even just like in a college campus, you know, maybe fifteen percent deep down think this is a not think okay thing to say, and eighty five percent might disagree, but they they think you can say it, right? And the fifteen percent is imposing their preferred echo chamber, which they're allowed to go and form a group of friends amongst their own fifteen percent of people. They can find all those other people and they can form a little echo chamber and say you're not you can't be friends with us if you say these things. That's totally fine. That's that's not not violating any liberal principles. Problem is when. They are saying, no, 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 not whether you're friends with us or not. We have the p- cultural power at the moment where no one here is allowed to say things that in our little group of friends we don't like. Right. And so even if, even yeah. if, you know, so, so there, there's a lot. Now you're talking specifically about like a marginalized person feeling.
0: Personally attacked, and I can and I can even elaborate a little more so we can talk specifics because I know it was such an abstract question. I'm very interested in um, conflicts between scientific findings and uh, ideology, and I know that's something you're very interested in as well. So this is something we kind of bond over. You know, I know that uh, you were interested in sex differences, for instance, and uh, sex differences in personality and in the brain and and things like that. There are some people, some ideologies that are claiming these days that there is no such thing as biological sex, right? That's not even a, doesn't exist. And, uh, it's all gender. It's 100% gender identity. And, and that and that there's no sex differences whatsoever. And the science doesn't bear that out, right? The science bears out that they're, especially on the people versus things dimension. I mean, it's, it's pretty large, uh, the sex difference there and, um, interest in people versus things. And, um, and then when you do look at this whole brain approach, um you find there there are, there are significant differences now none of those scientific findings and no scientific finding in my view justifies discrimination no matter what you find it doesn't discri- justify individual discrimination and that that should be obvious but some of these debates people don't even want to hear the science because they feel like it threatens their existence so that's kind of what i'm referring to i don't know if that makes sense
3: why did why did galileo get house house arrested cuz people did? didn't want to hear the science because it threatened their Worldview, mm, right? I mean, this yeah. is this is old yeah. news. This is <laughs> yeah, and, that's true. And if you're if you, if you if you think you wouldn't have you, you you prefer the Galileo side of that instead of the Catholic Church side of that, uh, mm. you should prefer science here too. Um, especially since I mean, mm. th- with this topic, I dug in, and the science isn't even saying anything bad. Like, the, what, really, the more I read about women and men, men brains, the first of all, the big thing that you come out with if you look at the stats is that. Judging an individual based on these broad of averages is makes absolutely no sense. It's a, it's someone who doesn't understand statistics would do that. If you understand statistics, like right. it tells you nothing about any person. I use I use an example like I was in a class at Harvard, you know, full of you know crazy kind of psychotically ambitious kids, and it hmm. was Sandel, uh, you know, uh, Michael Sandel's class at Justice is famous class, and he he eight hundred people, and he says, you know, raise your hand if you were born first in your family, your first child. Eighty percent, maybe, maybe even more, raise their hand, right? Because so you, you could, I'm sure, there's all kinds of stats about first children tend to be more ambitious, more conscientious, something, right? You know, probably less cool, less socially, you know, apt, whatever, whatever it is. Now imagine a company hears that and they say, "Oh, okay, so we're going to interview, but let's let's ask on the inter- on the application what order you're born. We're not going to interview any middle children or youngest children." We all agree that would be a ridiculous policy because, like, clearly this is not actually interesting informative at all for any. So I say the same thing. You can learn all you want about broad averages. Um, and, and they're important for other things. But, um, uh, it, it literally makes no sense to judge a single person because there's so much more variation within all groups than between them. Now, when you get to, uh, sex differences, the more I dug in also, the more I just kind of thought, wow, the male brain on average and the female brain on average are two like, like super magical power machines. And they each are like, you know, you know, they overlap a lot and then they each have some extra strengths that the others doesn't. And like, man, it made me like want, if I'm starting a company, I'm going to be like, I want a lot of smart women and a lot of smart men here because I want like all the strengths. I want all the tools, you know, I want to make sure we, we, yeah. so like, it It just made me care more about gender diversity. It made me more impressed with both the male and the female brain. It didn't make me think any anything negative about women and so this is what's being repressed is information that just is kind of fascinating and not bad at all and what happens is like what when when there were, when, when, it, when something is repressed, people assume there must be some bad story here so you know that what what people are worried about is like these you know, old misogynistic myths about women, you know, women are bad at math, women are whatever, and they're worried about the, but actually, when you learn about real science, you become less likely to believe those things. And when you repress them, you actually allow, you know, bad myths to become much more widespread, I think. So in general, it's hard to find that many, I mean, maybe there's some instances, but it's hard to find many instances when repressing science is a net positive you know, or even a positive for anyone, for anyone. I mean, it's also just think about all the, like all of the medical things that people learn, you know, the male and female bodies are just different machines, um, you know, you know, and there's different medical implications. Like, you know, it's just, I don't know. I I just think repressing, you know, knowledge discovery is just not something that has ever Look in history. How many times was it, was it, did it, were the the people repressing knowledge discovery on the right side of history? Mm. That's my thoughts. <laughs> and by the way, I'll say, I learned a lot of this from you. I mean, I thought you wrote some amazing articles on this and, yeah. and, and just measured and nuanced. And yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was great.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, that, that means a lot to me. I managed to write an article pointing out the sex differences in a way that didn't really piss off anyone and i think that we need to figure out more of that we need to figure out how can we frame these things in ways i think you're a great example of that with what you just said and you're not framing it in a zero sum way i really like the way what well, you framed it in a zero positive way on teams and I, and i like that way of thinking and maybe if we can get at the truth more in that kind of way as opposed to a because we see a lot of provocateurs these days you know we see a lot of people who are like this is the truth, you stupid liberals. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Totally. No, no, no.
3: It's it's the same way I would argue that like hardcore kind of woke ideologues are actually really bad for social justice. They're really bad for progressive activism, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we need progressive Mm -hmm. activism. And this thing that's masquerading as it is, I think, bad for it. I think it undermines it. And likewise, I think that the people who are trying to push back against that and who are trying to, you know, not, you know, uh, make sure that science isn't getting repressed are not being helped by like, yeah. You know, provocative right wingers, you know, jumping in. And I think that like it's it's the job of some people like us to push back against that. Just like I would say it's the job of like a hardcore feminist to push back against
0: I agree. I agree. I really like John McWhorter's writings on this. I don't know if you read his most recent book.
3: Love love all this stuff. Yeah. He's
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. He's uh he was on this podcast uh, recently, and uh, we had a delightful chat. so I, I direct the listeners to that to that chat if they want to follow up on some of his really uh, nuanced ideas and 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 compassionate and nuanced and truthful those I like the intersect the Venn diagram of those three things. You
3: know? yeah, I mean, and it's like if you, if you're gonna come at something with compassion, nuance, and truth and you're not like you don't have some secret motivation. Some secret, like, right. milit- you know, you're just trying to find the truth and and you and you have a lot of compassion as you're doing it. Yeah. And anyone who still wants, you know, to cancel you or to, you know, to to slander you after that, like, that's a them problem. Like, it's like <laughs> and, and it's, you know, it's easy for me to say I don't work at a, in an institution where I can get fired for. It. You know, I mean, if some people like it's not a them problem, it's it's it. it but. For, for,
0: you've job privilege. Yeah. Like job it's,
3: I'm just yeah. not, I, I, I mean, I know like I could just avoid all this stuff and talk about aliens and space and talk about, you know, tech and, and procrastination forever and not have any, you know, h- haters. But it's like this stuff isn't really important. None of those other things matter if like the political situation is just going down the tubes. Like we're just going to, we can't get to any of that awesome future. So yeah, I, I think like if I'm not, if I'm not going to approach hard things like this because I'm worried about the 2% of crazy people who will like, you know, try to ruin me because I'm like, you know, talking about something like, it's just, I don't, I don't think we should.
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to move on to the topic of life and death. Uh, when you were last, do you remember the last time you were on my podcast? It was almost like seven
3: years ago. It was a
0: while back. (laughs) You were, you were one of my first ever psychology podcast guests. And I must thank you for, um, for believing me believing me because that show was, was I didn't have that many listeners back then and you were so kind to be on the show now we're the number one psychology podcast in the world that's awesome but um congrats <laughs> but but thanks for being an early early adopter of the show and and I don't know if you remember in that discussion we talked about how you were thinking about getting chirogenically, uh, what's the word uh, Preserved. cryonics. And we had talked about like, you're like, I'm waiting for the bracelet. I might get the bracelet soon. And
3: I was wondering, did you ever get the bracelet? Are you wearing one? No, I'm like 95%. I'm 95% of the way there. I have the life insurance policy. I have, I fill out all the applications. I have to get something notarized and I'm very close, and I think my procrastination is a just because I procrastinate on stuff like this paperwork and you know notarizing is always going to be like a six month delay for me if I have to get it I don't really know what, I don't really know what that means to get something notarized. Don't, I don't like it at all. I was very upset. But isn't that funny? Though?
0: You're you're like that's like the ultimate procrastination, like in the cosmic sense.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll procrastinate on like saving my mortal soul. Because I don't want to get something notarized, but there's there's what there's another factor which is like I I think I'm going to do it. Like I'm leaning. If I had to just press a button right now, you're going to either do it or not, and you have to make a permanent choice. I would say yes. Yeah. The thing that gives me a little pause is that there is a downside. You know, I I, when I wrote about it, I didn't really think that hard about this, and I said like, right now you have three, you know, three broad options. You can get buried, zero percent chance of waking up in the future. This is as an atheist, obviously pe- religious people would feel differently about this. You can be cremated, zero percent chance of waking up in the future, or you could throw your brain to the future with cryonics and say, "Hey, here it is in probably pretty primitive 21st century, you know level uh, vitrified form. Maybe the future is as shocking to us as our time would be to Thomas Jefferson, in which case I'm, I imagine the future could probably do a lot with a pretty like crudely vitrified brain. They could probably say, yeah, we can, you know, I, I just read enough sci-fi that, that, that I, I feel like we are probably heading towards a world where like, that's no problem. And like, uh, I think Eliezer Yurkowsky talks about, you know, if you want to really erase a hard drive, you need to basically set it on fire because otherwise like, you know, could any tech in the future Recover the info that was in this hard drive, and the answer is almost always yes, unless you basically set it on fire. So th- that's the only way to securely erase a hard drive to truly make sure that no one can recover what what was in it. And then he, you know, talks about brains. How do you truly mm-hmm. securely erase a brain so that it cannot be recovered? Well, you have to let it like fully decay, you know, and or, or cremated or whatever. And so basically, the point is that even a primitive. Even vitrified brain with vitrified is like their word for freezing. It's not actually freezing or else the water would expand. So it's actually just, you know, it's cooled using, you know, with antifreeze to a super cold temperature where it's like glass where the molecules just in our fluid state, but they can't move. Yeah. And, and so, so the, the, the future probably would be able to do something with that. And so the other two is 0% throwing my brain to the future with cryonics is some percent maybe it's only one percent maybe it's five percent maybe it's twenty percent i don't really know but you don't have to be like you know the people are like this is unlikely or like this is this is very hard we're far away from it a i would say don't underestimate exponential tech like a lot of things that seemed impossible became very possible very quick secondly even if it's just a small chance why not like why not Mm -hmm. have a you know even just for the hope aspect like i'm always jealous of people who believe in an afterlife they can you know be on their deathbed and think I might be heading somewhere awesome right now. And like, even if they're, even if that's not true, it's nice to think that. So the same thing, you know, with cryonics, y- if you know, this is about to happen, your brain's going to be preserved. You're about to, you know, close your eyes and maybe blink and wake up and, 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 and 250 mm-hmm. years in a robot body. Right. So for all these reasons, it was like a no brainer. Why not? You know? And, it, and it's not that I want to live forever. I don't think I want to live forever. It's like, I like life and I'd like to live a lot more than one century. I mean, like, thanks, but like, I'll let you know when I'm done. Like I'm not one century is not, you know, it's not very much. So 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 for all these reasons it was no-brainer. Now, then I started just thinking, I think also probably from watching too much black mirror like if you are buried or if you are cremated, you have a 0% chance. There's also a 0% chance if you get buried or cremated that nothing awful happens. Like death is mm. death is seems awful to us, but it's actually pretty like neutral. You know, yeah. death isn't good or bad yeah. once you're in it. Yeah. There is a non-zero chance, probably a very tiny chance, much less than the good opportunity possibility, but there is a non-zero chance that throw your brain to the future, you know, there's some horrible war and some, you know, some some nuclear war and then there's this, you know, we're, we're, we have warlords running where what the US used to be and you know and but they have their high tech and some, you know, some sick fuck gets a hold of a cryonics lab and is like, "Ooh, let's like test like Torture on like these brains, but they know how to actually like upload it and like keep the, keep it conscious. And like, let's put it through like a billion years of torture just to see like what it does and how long it takes for the thing to go crazy. God knows, but I, this is like a late night thought I started having. And I was like, ah, like, like bear, I want to just, just bury me, cremate me. Like, I don't want to take any chance of that. And then another, and then, yeah. an, and then another mood. I'm like, what? No, come on. Like the future is almost anything with that much tech is almost definitely going to be altruistic. This is kind of like a. I think it's a Carl Sagan point. But like it's it's like, you know, that this uh, things more advanced are more likely to be altruistic. And and then I also have talked to uh people in the industry and they say that they they think about this and they have all these protocols where if there's a certain level of like instability in the government like they can just shut down that lab, which is sad, but it's better than, you know, risking, you know. So it, that that you have all these protocols to kind of uh, protect you in in that situation. So, it's not perfect and it's it's still non-zero. You always have to acknowledge like you are taking a risk that you're not taking if You or you just you know something less bad. You just wake up and you're like a slave in a society, you know, and they want to you know they want human brains. So who knows? But
0: I'm just like you. I have a rich uh, sci-fi imagination, and I think if I run the simulation, this is what I see. You tell me what you think. I see the most probable thing is that those bodies that that whole the whole vat you and the vat it's going to get lost. And it's, got, it's almost like, you know, how we discover dinosaur, like figments now, you know, we're like, oh, my God, we found this, like, we're going to, it's, it, it's going to be like, like, you may be revived, but we're, t- I think it wouldn't be till like a billion years <laughs> for
3: now, <laughs> like, the, or a million years. Well, the thing is that, the, the, but, but, but it requires electricity. It, it, if the power goes out, the, the brain will oh, decay. Then it's as if you're just buried but, because it needs, needs to keep the, the liquid at a negative 196 degrees. So
0: it requires, I mean, that's, there's a lot of things that requires for this to come out, right? It
3: requires a generation after generation of workers, right? Well, but, but here, okay. But you think of it this way, exponential tech, you know, it could be two generations and suddenly it's very easy to revive chronics people. And it's very easy to upload your consciousness uh, to, to robot bodies or to just regrow a human body or, 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 you know, give you an artificial body, whatever, whatever reason, maybe it's one generation, maybe it's six generations from now, but like we're talking maybe just a century or two. And, All that needs to happen is someone needs to keep the power on. Once you're in that VAT, it's not much maintenance. So like if this is a thriving future that we're going towards that like if if the same thing that happened in the last two hundred years continues, which is an if, but if the future keeps getting more fancy and more advanced. And probably more humane, then you're going towards a future that probably will be able to revive you and we'll have no problem, like keeping the power on and keeping, like, it'll probably become like, a, once there's a lot of people in chronics and it's a big thing, it'll become this extreme, like, moral issue where it's like, th- those are like souls over there. And like, it's like, you know, unbelievable, like, you know, genocide if you unplug the power there or something. So it's, so people would take it really seriously. These are patients in long-term care is how it, I think it'll be seen eventually. And like, imagine, you know, you, know, you, you would, it's, it's, not, it's a doctor's obligation to, do the best they can for a patient in long-term care. So, I don't think it's like a crazy unlikelihood that, like, if you just, yeah, yeah, I don't know,
0: I don't think it's crazy either, for the record. Uh, and I loved, I loved seven years ago riffing, and we we talked about all sorts of possibilities. Are you signed up? So I'm seriously c- contemplating it. Um, I've had the conversation with them. Um, I, I haven't signed up yet, but I there's a lot of things you have to do, like I like life insurance and all this stuff.
3: It, it sounds worse than it is. Like it's just like um, I just got like some term insurance policy for 20 years. We're basically like um, I probably should just get a normal one. I don't know because I think that is when that ends, I'll be like it'll be much more expensive. But either way, I was like, look for the next 20 years. If I die unexpectedly, like then this thing is paid for forever by this insurance policy. That's just how that's how. That's how everyone does it. So anyway, it's just, it's an insurance policy. Basically, you can just, it's like a few phone calls you have to make. I'm saying this as as someone who's still procrastinating from finishing the job. It's like, But it's like two good days, one good day of like phone calls and paperwork, and you could be, you could, you could be all set.
0: Yeah. One thing I will say, because I had a little bit of a conversation with uh, Antonio DiMaggio uh, about this on the podcast, is that it would have to be the whole body that's preserved, not just the brain. Because according to his theory of consciousness, consciousness, our consciousness very much draws on the body. So, so for those people that think that you can just you can just recover the brain and you, you'll recover con- consciousness, according to his theory, that's not going to be possible.
3: Well, how about when people lose their limbs? There's people with no limbs who have perfect consciousness. They, they didn't lose anything there. Why would the torso be so different?
0: No, it's the, it's the stuff that relates to feelings.
3: Like this brain was specifically designed to work with this body and like in relation yes, to this body. Correct. So obviously, correct. but I, I kind of feel like you have the brain, you have what's needed for a much fancier future tech to be able to to be able to now mimic whatever the body's connection to that brain was doing, it'll have the info it needs to bring you back. That's that's my guess, but I, I,
0: but would it bring the consciousness back? I don't know. Yeah,
3: well, yeah so Antonio know.
0: seems to 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 really think that, um, but again, we don't know one hundred percent. Well, so
3: then let's do the whole body. Why not? They give that option.
0: Yeah, good. So we'll do, that's why I said I'm adding some just some caveats. All I'm
3: doing is giving caveats here. because I'm. It's also like if you don't have to get your head cut off, let's like not be let's not get beheaded if we can
0: yes but also there's just so much we don't freaking know about about are we in a simulation so like david chalmers there's so much stuff we could bring here like david chalmers doesn't it puts it at greater than pro- probability 50 percent probability that we are in a simulation like what do you do if you start fucking with <laughs> with the gods you know like oh start playing god in a way i just there's you know.
3: well i mean the, where are you right now are you sitting outside in a cave you know, so you're fucking with the gods inside is an invention that we made, right? Like, you know, we're, we're double, we're living double our lifespan. We're, we're, we're canceling all these diseases. We fly, we're not supposed to fly. Right. You know, so, so this is just the latest step. It's like, I, I feel like if the simulators didn't like us playing God, they would have gotten rid of us a long time ago. They're probably amused by it. They're saying, oh, let's see how far they can go. Like, let's, like, if, if I'm watching the simulation, I'm super excited about it a species like this. I'm like, oh, let's see if they kill themselves off or like if they, yeah, you know, it's, I it's, it's, it's get the popcorn yeah. for humanity right now. Like they really, they're either going to, get the popcorn. technology is exploding. All their weapons are getting fancier, but they're also, they're getting like wiser, but also they're getting stupider because of social media and like the population's exploding. Like what's going to happen? It sounds like a great reality show.
0: Yes. And then the third thing I want to bring up because um, these are just interesting potential complications in this or just uh, additional nuance. I had a great chat with Jim Tucker on my podcast he's the world's leading scientist of reincarnation and the science suggests when he when he listens to you know these kids two to five years old who have past life memories and things he really does believe that our consciousness lives on beyond the body in in some really and he has he's trying to like figure out some mechanisms for this but he's a legit scientist and and all the evidence taken together Suggest there's there's something going on here where we can get where some form of reincarnation can exist. So you're you're putting at zero percent probability that when you die, even not not going to the religious level, but there might be some actual legit scientific scientific mechanisms that allow that. So don't put that at zero percent yet.
3: I, I'd have to learn more. I mean, it's it seems okay. Like, the, the big 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 picture is that I've I've like between my twenty year old me and today me. I have stopped being someone who's like scoffs at something like that and is like, that's, you know, because there's just a, clearly a lot we don't know and like yeah. not very wise yeah. to scoff at like very mysterious things like that. Uh, especially since we could be in a simulation, in which case any rule could be true, Correct. right? Like, like anything could be true, Correct. right? So, um, so I don't know. Um, and, and maybe there is, you know, you look, look at how like a- other animals, like they have these senses. For stuff that, like, you know, like, it just seems almost magical, but it's just different, you know? So I, I, I don't know. I would, uh, I, I just have to learn more because right now, like, a, a, a brain buried that slowly decays and all the atoms are separated. Like, it's hard for me to see how whatever arrangement of synapses was forming that person and their consciousness and their memories. It's hard to see how that is some in any way preserved in any way transferred. I don't know, but I, I just don't even, what's, what's his, like, what, what what does he say happens? Does he does he know?
0: Well, so there's all these different camps in the science of consciousness. It's a very fractionated field. So you have the panpsychic people would see a mechanism for it because in in their view consciousness is not. It's something that's that's out there, and you know, and it's something we kind of tap into in some way. Uh, whereas Antonio DiMaggio, absolutely not. Antonio DiMaggio is like when you're dead, you know, you're and when your brain is dead, your consciousness there's no way there's no mechanism yeah. for that, but there are people that disagree with Antonio DeMazio. So there's like these vibrant debates, you know, in the field. Um, so I definitely would, would encourage you to look into.
3: Yeah. Pan-sikism. I mean, it makes me happy just hearing this. Cause like, it's not very, <laughs> yeah. it's not very fun being an atheist. Like I, I much prefer to believe one of these things. Like it's it, even, even just like a little doubt that like, Oh, maybe there's like consciousness is so this part of this other thing, the spiritual realm. And we're mm-hmm. like, that sounds great. Like I, I would love to like even think 1% that might be true. Like it's makes, would make me happy less dark. Yeah.
0: Um, I think that'd be a great blog post. Uh, I'll send you the podcast chat I have with with Jim Tucker, Dr. Jim Tucker, when that comes out, because I think you'll be fascinated by it. And it might even be an interesting blog post on the science of reincarnation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm open.
0: Who knows? Look, it's we're at the, we're definitely above this uh, point in which I said we would stop, and I knew this is always going to happen because every time I talk to you, we it, it, I mean, it can go. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> we, we could spend the whole day, right? Want to be hundred percent respectful? We didn't have any time for the Twitter Q and A. Should we just call it a day right I, now? I, I, can, think? Do some, I wanna, can do Twitter Q and It's fine. We did not like go on another 15, 20 minutes. Okay. So Paula Get says, "How does he process information and structure it in the way he does?" question.
3: I mean, I, I use some metaphors for how I learn. And I think probably a lot of people are like this, which is just like this, this, this tree, where if, if I don't have a foundation of knowledge, which is the tree trunk, I don't learn. I can't learn. Like I, I can read as many articles right now about, you know, some geopolitical thing that I, I don't know much about, or some Fancy finance thing that I, I haven't learned about, or whatever it is, you know, some some element of crypto that I don't fully get, and I can read articles about it and and try to like memorize, you know, understand the jargon and and, and start to like feel like I can almost say smart sentences about it. I don't actually understand it, and because the I'm, I'm taking leaves and branches and fruits, and they have nothing to hang on to, they all fall down to nothing, right? And so for me, it's all it's very binary. It's like once there's a something that that foundation is there. Now, I, a, all those articles become interesting because they're actually pretty boring when you don't understand them. You sometimes get satisfaction from reading them because you feel like I'm learning something or you're like, proud of yourself for reading something. You're not, it's not actually interesting. It's hard for it to be interesting when you don't fully get it. Once the tree trunk is there, a topic becomes endlessly interesting to me. And because now I, I read something and it's like so satisfying, you're sticking something new onto this thing. And also it makes sense to you. And, and, and so all these thoughts are coming up and all these original thoughts can come out now because when you get it and you hear something and it has a clear structure in your head, you can now like extrapolate your own thoughts from that that are original. So, so for me, it's, it's all about the tree trunk and, 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 but it's not like I'm like a, you know, I'm not like a great learner where I'm like always out there seeking new tree trunks. Like I'd like to think of myself that way. And sometimes I am, that's part of why I like writing blog posts because it forces me to do that. Once I'm there, I like it, but like I I often will procrastinate on like just doing the full deep dive on a topic because I can just go turn to other topics I already know about right now and do that one later. So I think that that's one way that I I think about. um, I I always like, you know, like I I also like, I think a lot in in analogies and metaphors, um, which I put a lot in my writing because I think the reason that that's helpful is because what you're doing is you're taking something, a relationship or a concept that already exists clearly in your head. And when you realize that this has that same thing going on, all of this, you can kind of steal from all this clarity and apply it to this. And you can like cut that corner and like, you don't have to, you know, so um there's, you know, there's, there's so many, I don't know, like when I first wrote about reasoning from first principles and reasoning by analogy, I started off with like hmm. that post with two kinds of geology. You know, there was, there was in the, the 1600s, there were the flood geologists that looked at the Grand Canyon and said, well, we know for sure that this thing, that the earth is no more than 6,000 years old. So we have to work around that fact. And we have to basically allow our, figure out a way for our observations about the Grand Canyon to prove, to continue to confirm that fact. And then there were the science geologists who said, well, we don't know. You know, maybe some of them thought maybe it's 6,000 years. Well, we don't know unless we observe it. So they had suddenly, they didn't have that that straitjacket on and they could just explore and they learned so much and they just it's propelled learning, right? So I already had that in my head, like this concept, mm-hmm. you know, of of like, you know, of being you know, of, of, and then, but so when, then I learned about reasoning from first principles, reasoning by analogy, I realized that this other thing I had in my head was actually part of a bigger category, which is this thing, this, this, these two kinds of reasoning. And so I I then put it in the post because I figured if, if that was something that clicked, made it helped it click for me, it would probably help it click for other people too. So when I put something in a post, an analogy or metaphor, it's because I think, Probably, my readers are going to also get the same benefit from this this relationship connection.
0: How do you know that the ideas that you're gathering for your articles are high quality and are are true? If you're not an expert in the field, what is? What are some of the methods you use to try to ascertain that that high quality aspect of the ideas?
3: Well, first, I'm, I'm never sure. I I, I, I guarantee I have some stuff and some articles that I would look back on now and be like that's trash like it's just like you know you're not yeah. perfect as a blogger i'm getting better and more rigorous as i go sure earlier especially early on like you know i just i didn't even know how to like source things correctly i, I i'm just i've gotten a lot yeah. more professional about it um but 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 i think basically the, the 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 real key to that is to just like vigorously not pretend to be something you're not <laughs> So, like,
4: I love that. Yeah, Yeah. like,
3: like I always try to think of knowledge as you know one through ten. Ten is more leading expert, and my goal is to like get myself from like a two or three layman level to like a six, five or six, and then bring readers up to a five or six while fully Mm -hmm. making it clear that I am a five or six trying to bring you to a five or six. Like, if that's the game we're playing, well, then I can genuinely, you know, with a straight face on, get myself up to a five or six on cryonics or AI or yeah. On, on politics or whatever um and and then i can i i can again you know without feeling like an, a fraud or an imposter genuinely say no i really am going to help people get from a three to a five or six there's nothing fake about this because i'm not trying to do more than i can do um if i wanted to get people to an eight or a nine i would have to put in a lot of years put in a lot of study and and, and fully understand that entire you know uh Spectrum of the topic, the entire context, and 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 all the different theories, and 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 have them all have a place in my head. And like, I don't want to do that. And so 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 I think that the, when people get into trouble, is it, is if they're just trying to write like the authoritative thing, but they don't, they haven't done the work for that. So and, and the, the the key insight there is like, I think some people try to do that because they think that's what's needed. But like, getting people up, you know, if you put effort in, and then you can apply that effort, like that's. Someone's going to want that that exact effort, not more than that. So just just admit the effort you're putting in, and and find the people who want that effort, and th- there you go. Like that's that's kind of the general philosophy.
0: Yeah, no, there's a key insight there because there's something different between the way you write and the way, I, quite frankly, I try to write, where you have a certain sense of epistemic humility while still having the spirit of wanting to educate people and thinking that you have the confidence that you can at least educate them in some way. That's different than some people who are on Twitter. Who they act as though they're prophets, like they're like this is the truth, you know, and and uh, and then they get like fifty thousand likes, and all the followers are like, oh my god, you're so brilliant, you're so brilliant. You don't kind of get those kind of people following us, right? I mean, we we do get people saying we're brilliant sometimes, but you see what I'm
3: saying? Yeah, but 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 very specifically, like what you're saying is so true, and I do feel like it's a low wrong, high wrong thing. Like I feel like there's people who their whole game is to appeal to low wrong thinking. So in, in a low-rung thinking world, the more conviction you speak with, the smarter you sound. And you never show any doubt and you never admit you were wrong. Cause then they, they, then in the low-rung psychology, that makes you seem stupid and wishy-washy and weak. So you're seeing is you're seeing someone who is appealing to people who are in that zone where they think conviction means you must be smart. Um, you know, go, go to like a, you know, I've watched a bunch of flat earther podcast or uh, videos, you know, people who are dead serious about it and, I mean, they are so certain. And so, and so, so the game we're playing is in super different where it's the exact op in the high rung world. And I you know, I, I'm sure we're sometimes not high rungers because no one's perfect, but I think we're both pretty good at trying to be up there, at least in our professional work. And in the higher world, it's the opposite. If you speak with conviction, you're giving a promise. I really know this for sure. And if you get caught wrong. You're going to be met with skepticism. And if it turns out like you're wrong, you just lost all your trust. And so Mm -hmm. what's respected in the higher wrong world is humility is, is, is over is like using conviction sparsely and, 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 and admitting you don't know. I mean, like I think of like Scott Alexander, this dude knows a ton about a lot of stuff, right? Super clear thinker, super rigorous, Mm -hmm. reads a ton, super curious, like, and yet he's, he constantly admits his own Degree of certainty and probably underestimates it and loves calling his old self out for being wrong, right? Like, I, I, it's, there, there's, there's, and, and, um, and so he's like to me, like a very, very, like, excellent high wrong thinker, right? And so he's now, what happens is now he acquires, he attracts high wrong thinker readers who are the, you know, who, who, cause, who, cause who is that going to attract, right? It's the kind of person that thinks, Conviction equals smart. Conviction equals knowledge. They're not going to like him. They're going to think he's this this like you know long winded you know wishy washy thinker. They're gonna, but he's going to attract people who like nuance and who appreciate humility and you know. So anyway, I I hope that we both are attracting yeah. that same crowd. I, th- I think I do. I think that like you do. I think if I the things I get called out on you know for are 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 you know if I'm acting low wrong in some way, I'm going to get called out on it. I think more than if I'm um, I'm, I'm I'm not going to you know. You you know, yeah, I I
0: absolutely know, and and I really quite like my audience. I'm very fond of my audience. Yeah, me too. I think they're great, and and I'm the kind of person that if I got to a point in my life where I didn't like my audience, I would I would have some serious questions about myself. Whereas you don't see that in other people. They're they're because
3: then what are you doing?
0: That then you're just like a grift. Then you're just a grifter manipulating people you don't correct. like for money or fame. Correct, or something, right? Like, but you don't. But there are people that as long as their audience is feeding their ego.
3: They could be the worst
0: people in the world, and they'd be like, "Thank you, audience." Or, or their
3: wallet, or whatever. Right. I I think a lot of people have disdain for their audience, and they think, you know, of course, these idiots are like, it's just, I have no interest, and it just sounds really uh, dark. And yeah, no, I, I, if anything, like, what drives me is like, I feel like I have to do like a really good job and like be really nuanced and like teach my audience something new because they've already thought about a lot of this stuff and they already know a lot of stuff and like. You know, I'm always like trying to like rise up to that level. Is, is how I think of it.
0: Beautiful. Heidi Weber says, "How do you choose what you read? What filters do you use?"
3: Uh, not a good, not a great reader. Um, I I wish I were such a better reader. But um, like basically, I'm like a childish reader. And what I mean by that is like I'm a perfectionist. So I'll start like a sci-fi series, mm. and then I will like suddenly become addicted and like be an avid reader and read the entire thing. And then I just like won't read anything for like six months. And and then I start a lot of books, read a third of it, and then not It's not that I don't like it, but I just like it becomes. Le- I I I I I don't read it for like a month, and now it becomes like icky because I'm like I, I don't I have to go back to the beginning. Or am I going to forget it? So I just put it aside, and I have a lot of books where I've read a third. So I, I don't think um, I I uh, uh, I think I have a lot of like growth to do as a reader that that, that could help me kind of. But I, I will say, right, I had been on a sci fi kick. I basically I used to just read only nonfiction because I was like, oh, like you know, once you're getting to that zone, it feels like wasting time to read fiction. Like, what are you doing, like? you know you can learn so much from nonfiction and i love i love good nonfiction obviously i mean i, I write nonfiction but but i i've really been on a fiction kick over basically i, I started uh, i read the three body problem and that whole see, that whole trilogy and i was like just i felt i felt re in love with something i loved when i was like 11 which was like reading you know the giver and reading like these sci-fi kind of futuristic dystopian or utopian novels and i was like oh my god i forgot how much it's that feeling of like you get in a giddy mood <laughs> when you realize like, Oh, I'm about to be home and I can read like, or like I'm I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to go up to bed now. And then I'm like, Oh, I can get in bed and read. And it's that feeling of like this, like it's almost like having like a new relationship. It's like this excitement exciting thing on in, in your life. So, but I, uh, so, so, so then I started reading the culture series. I'm three books in now. Love it. Um, I'm going to try to keep reading those. So I don't know. I just, I mean, but, but I, I feel that, um, that reading i just read a lot of non-fiction for work you know and that it's really fun to just dive into a fiction universe plus i i feel like it's good fertilizer for any writer fiction or non-fiction just to read really good fiction i think it's just it just uh it just i don't know it um it's like another really smart interesting voice is just in your head being artful like mm-hmm. that's good for you i don't
0: know i mean the neuroscientific speaking it it Cultivates the default mode brain network, which is associated with imagination, which that can atrophy. So, yeah, you're develop, you're literally developing your imagination neurons, strengthening them.
3: Yeah, it feels like that. Like, I, and your social imagination, especially if I want to like write about the future, even if from a nonfiction perspective, no one knows what's going to mm-hmm. happen in the future, and sometimes the sci-fi authors are the best predictors. That's actually historically often been true. Um, they're, totally. they're usually science nuts and they really understand the actual science. And then they're, but unlike other scientists, they're in the business of imagination and of prediction. So I, I do feel like it, it really does help me kind of make, I think, better educated guesses about what's coming.
0: Totally. Uh, the best of live audio asks, taking a cue from Mark Manson, what is an idea that fundamentally altered nearly everything else you believe to be true?
3: Sometimes it's like an idea that you kind of know intuitively, but then someone like gives it a label and and you realize that it's not just you kind of subconsciously thinking about this, but it's a real thing that other people think about and there's a label for it. And then it, like it suddenly it crystallizes and it becomes like a mantra for you. So I think reasoning from first principles was like one of those for me. Like it's not novel idea the, when I learned about it, but it was like suddenly instead of just like having an intuitive sense that that was a good way to reason, I had like a very conscious sense that there's how much of my reasoning from first principles right now versus reasoning by analogy and, and, and it's a spectrum. It's not, it's not, um, binary. Where am I on that spectrum? And also where should I be on that spectrum? Like sometimes it makes a lot more sense. You know, it's, it's reasoning by first, from first principles takes a huge amount of energy. If you don't need to be doing it, if you can copy in this case, it's like, think about it as like, if you're a CEO of a company, you want to be doing only the work that you absolutely, the only you can do. So reasoning by analogy in a way is delegating the reasoning to someone else to either your past self or to that's conventional wisdom or to your parents or to your friends or to whatever uh and saying you know they think this is good or right and so it must be good or right or they this is how it seems cool to be or, or what what the best Place to travel is they say that. So I'm just, rather than having to like step back and be like, but what really is travel? And what is the best place? What re-? just to say this? These people say this place is good. So I'm just going to go there on my vacation. And I spent ten seconds thinking about it instead of two days digging into the meaning of travel. So yeah, I, th- I think it's, in, it's it's it became a whole framework in my head that I think um, is super useful and um, and also it's a superpower when you realize that reasoning from first principles does not require genius. It doesn't require a crazy amount of talent. It requires a certain, dis, it requires a certain kind of epiphany about the unimpressiveness of conventional wisdom and the wrongness and the, 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 the oldness of conventional wisdom. And to realize that you're a, a smart person kind of individually reasoning based on what they see is almost, is, is more often than not going to actually be smarter than conventional wisdom. And it's that, that's this epiphany. You know, Steve Jobs has talked about this epiphany that changed his life. He never saw it. You know, it's like, it's it's not an epiphany about how smart you are. It's an epiphany that like these things that we assume are so much smarter than us are actually kind of dumb. So therefore, anyone can just kind of go and change the world if you want to think that way. So it's it's, it's a long topic, but like yeah, this one is a, that was a big one I think for me creatively and just how I live my life. Yeah,
0: yeah, that is a very mind changing idea. K- because Honda said I'm a longtime supporter of Wipeout Why and loved him. But I was disappointed uh, that Lex Friedman didn't push back harder on bad outcomes. What could go wrong with MBIs? Is it a good idea to have Mars be settled by corporations? Money incentives always find a way to ruin things. I thought that was an interesting yeah. sort of question.
3: Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's certainly lots of possible bad outcomes with any, any future tech. I mean, the good outcomes are mind-blowingly awesome and the bad outcomes mm. are like existentially awful. I mean, that that's how it works. Like, that's why it's kind of, this is why I'm writing about politics right now is because I'm like, we need to have our wits about us as a society. We can't be like devolving right now. Like the stakes are getting higher and higher every decade that goes by as our tech gets better and better. The stakes are getting this, both the good, what we could lose and also like how bad things could get. Like people, we get cocky when we've only lived and our parents have only lived in a nice world without, you know, too much hardship. And a lot of societies before us have been just as cocky and, and, and you know, and, and and no one ever predict, you know, it's hard to imagine, A dystopian future really being true, other than you know anything out of sci-fi. When you're in a very you know long time peace and general well-being, so I think I think there's definitely a lot of bad outcomes. Um, The um, you know MBIs brain machine or BMI brain machine interfaces um, are um, yeah, Neuralink yeah Neuralink like if, if 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 you're putting the device in your head so a we can maybe think together which is incredible uh you know i've talked a lot about all the the great things that could come from this um uh i've written about it meanwhile your brain can be hacked potentially you know there's going to have to be crazy cybersecurity industry you know that is even bigger than it is now because you could hack into someone's memories like that's real and even maybe scarier probably scarier you can actually right Not just read out of their brain, but you could write into it, meaning you could actually make them feel feelings or make them feel opinions <laughs> oh or gosh. make them, you know, act a certain way. You know, there's a, there's a that's, that's, that's a pretty scary sci fi book right there. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, if it's, if you think about how much, you know, the world's gotten both better and also scarier because of smartphones and the internet. Like, wow, there's so much, like so many things were in 1985, you just weren't in nearly as much. There's certain things that are just much, um, privacy and cyber attacks and like, you know, there there's all the kinds of uh, you know, and 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 like addiction to this thing and you know how it's kind of um creating political division in a way that 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 hasn't been around in a hundred years. Like so it's also made us a lot more vulnerable. It's made it's it, it's it's has some pretty scary consequences and brain machine interfaces is next level. It's like it's even more awesome than smartphones, but it also so yeah, I, I definitely think um I think about bad outcomes. It's it's my nature more to um, get excited about good outcomes. That's just how mm-hmm. I am. Like I'm, I'm, and, and it's kind of like this thing is coming anyway. And I think there's so much focus on dystopian. You know, what can happen with AI goes wrong? What could happen? And that I think that, we, and, and that's good. I mean, I'm happy as a motivator to create. You know, for AI safety and stuff, for example. But I think it's just as good a motivator to think about what could we have if we get this right, and what do we have to lose if we don't? Like, so I think painting utopia. Is also an, an awesome motivator that, as opposed to just you know fear. So um, I like to focus totally. on that more. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I thought that his that his point. Of, um, I don't know their person's gender. Sorry, because Abu Honda's uh point about money incentives always find a way to ruin things. I so thought that was a that was also kind of a good point.
3: I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. I mean, I think money incentives is part of why we're all like living in. You know, have it, go to the grocery store, and there's every possible food you could ever want to eat, all sitting there, fresh and in nice rows. Like, money and you know, money incentives has done a lot of good things, and it all it's just you know, it's yeah. obviously, it also can do a lot of bad things. But I, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Maybe I have to. Yeah, I would hear this person. I would say, change
0: the word. Always, yeah, I would yeah. replace always with can. Can find yeah. a way. Uh, so it's important to consider at least. Yeah, when you kind of think about these things. Yeah. I have a, a little section. This will be the end of our interview today. Um, like we'll do like a fast lightning round. Okay. I thought I put together just on the spot just now. I put together, I grouped together some questions. I thought would be fun. It's like the first things that come to your head, you know, don't, you don't have to think, you know, deeply about these questions. Okay. France. What does he think about the French?
3: <laughs> I kind of assume. I kind of assume that they hate me because I think f- a French people is hating Americans, but that's probably not really fair. And I think that, yeah, I I, I, uh, I think they're judging me. That's what I think.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Favorite song when he was 10 years old?
3: Mm. Piano Man, maybe?
0: Yes. Some Beatles song? I don't know. If he were to write a children's book, what message would he want to share?
3: That the really hard things in life is managing what's going on in your own head. And that... And that that's okay, because everyone has that challenge, but that the outside world is actually not, is, is, is a breeze, if you, can, if you can get really good at managing what's going on in your own head.
0: Maybe you should write a children's book someday, that could be fun.
3: Yeah, mental health book. <laughs>
0: what is, <laughs> so important, I mean, that would be super important. What is his favorite Marvel superhero? Who is his favorite villain?
3: Not too much of a Marvel guy. I'm, I like the the magical ones, like Superman's magical. Spider Man's kind of like mm-hmm. a one trick pony. Uh, Batman's not magical; he just like has ropes and stuff. And same with like Iron Man; like he's just has like a suit. So I, I'd go Superman. Villain. I mean, I guess Penguin's kind of funny. He's like an old, short Jew who's like who's <laughs> like devious. I kind of like him. Like a neurotic. Yeah, neurotic yeah. Jew. He's like kind of like a hilarious. I like, kind of want to like hang with him and like start a, start like a devious company with him thoughts on psychedelics um i love psychedelics i love uh i love microdosing i think it's like a little a little spruce to your creativity uh and without without you being high at all or tripping at all because then you're not microdosing mm-hmm. and i, I like mm-hmm. macrodosing. i think it's um not 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 very often but i think it's uh incredibly powerful super fun and actually change your life like and you know i i i i i uh tripped over uh, a New Year's one time and had like a deeper insight into like what it's going to feel like to be like an old, like hobbling person and got a trainer the next day and have been far more physically active ever since that was like three years ago. And that's life changing, right? Like, and it's because like, I, I could, you know, we get in these, this is not a lightning answer, sorry, but we get in these like grooves where we see everything through this kind of, you know, one way and, and, and sometimes it's not very, we're not, we're we're in some kind of delusion but we're stuck in it and you know you can't and and this helps you kind of just like brush away a bunch of fog or look at to the side and see things from a different angle and like i was like i feel like i just like really i was like oh i'm gonna be like 78 and like limping around and and i could like feel it and i was like oh god i have to like i have to take care of my body you it, 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 it sounds obvious but to me it like it like became crystal clear in a much deeper way. So I have a lot of examples like that. I think it's great. Um I wouldn't like brashly advise people to all just do it. I think it's a you know something you should learn a lot about and that you should make sure you're doing in the right setting and that you make sure you're doing with the right people and in the right time in your life. Um, but I, I do think it's something that probably more people should explore than currently are.
0: What's the craziest perception you ever had or, I'm, 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 or hallucination? Like, what's the crazy? Do, do you have something that you're like, oh my God?
3: I, so I, I haven't gone like, I haven't gone like a crazy level where I'm like,
0: mm-hmm. I, I, I you
3: know, people go to the,
0: you No heroic know, dose? No heroic yeah, dose for you?
3: Her, Well, I'd, I'd like to, I would like to. I just like, yeah. eh, it's kind of scary, but I know it's one of those things that once I do it, I'll be like, I can't believe I waited so long to do that. But, you know, that's the level where, so the real, you know, the, the, the level I've heard people talk about is where you don't know that you've ever not been in this state, or that you ever will not be in this state in the future. So you're truly psychosis. Mm-hmm. Like you don't you don't know what's going on. You don't realize you're in a tripping. This is this is just that. That's next level. I've always been very like rational and sane, and like mm-hmm. I know who I am. I know what's going on, and I know it's okay. And that said, you can get to some. You know, I don't know. It's just. Um, I mean, it's been it's also been great for my marriage. We've you know we've mm-hmm. done this and then have these really like just these, this like communication that we like, you know, you think you're communicating and then you don't realize like there's other stuff that you really, you know, w- w- that we wasn't being communicated And it just like things come out um, in a really healthy way, I think. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been great in that regard. And it's also just fun. Like we, people talk about it. So much talk right now about, cause I think it's more, it's less taboo to talk about it as a, in a medical sense or a mental health sense, but it's just a great recreational time. Like it's like, giggly. It's so giggly. And then it's like, so every, the, the, the colors are so beautiful. Uh, everything you're looking at is so like gorgeous. you I feel like you actually have heard that your eyesight is actually better. Um, and you know, music sounds so much better and nature is so much more gorgeous and like fascinating. And like, so I, I yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's, it's a pretty magical thing that, that we've discovered, um, in the world.
0: Well, I agree. And it's also a great bonding experience. I don't know if you have oh, done yeah. it with, with your wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying.
3: We've, we, we've, we've communicated yeah. together. People. Oh my together God, together, All time, Yeah. yeah.
0: It's just really a true bonding experience with the person you've done it with. Uh, okay, last question. last question, which is, was actually the most asked question. But why wait? <laughs> what does that mean? That's the most. I think people are trying to be clever because the name of your blog is Wait, but why? They're asking, mm-hmm. but why wait?
3: Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I get a lot of. I get a, if you're going to start a blog called Wait, but why? You're going to deal with a whole lot of puns and like plays on words. So I, I, I'm very used to that, um, uh, and it always tickles me a little bit. Um, I, I think. Uh, but why wait? Because, because sometimes it's only when you wait that you can process what's going on in a way that helps you then figure out what you want to do next. Nice, <laughs> nice. If they're, if they're going to ask like a question it, like that, I they're like, going to get a yeah, I a, know. silly I answer.
0: Know. Yeah. I like it. It wasn't silly. It's, it's so important for people to hear that message, actually, these days. Tim, thank you so much for coming back on my, psych- on my psychology podcast all these years later and for another epic interview. Yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity.